And hello and welcome back to the Hungry Takes podcast live on a Thursday night with Joe and Matt. Whether you're listening to us live on Colorcast or later on on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, welcome to another episode. Matt, this is our first episode of the new year in 2022. Yeah, so new year, new you. That's what they always say. So we're going to try to bring uh, more hungry takes, right? New hungry takes, more hungry takes, Joe. I know tonight we're talking NFL football. We're talking college football, NBA basketball. And Joe, some sneaky big news that's kind of flying under the radar. Okay, now definitely am intrigued by that. That's a cliffhanger that I'm definitely wanting to know more about later on in the show. But first and foremost, you know, let's get started. Let's kickstart this with some NFL football discussion. And Matt, I cannot believe that we're on the uh, precipice of week 18 in the NFL. First time we've ever said week 18 in NFL history. And so we are going to have the last week of the regular season, and then the playoffs will start the following week with Super Wild Card Weekend. So let's talk for a second Matt, about some of the scenarios we have for the final weekend. When you look at the NFC, it's pretty much cut and dry with the Packers having clinched the number one seed, and it's kind of just everybody below them jockeying for position between the Rams, the Buccaneers, Cowboys, and Cardinals, all kind of vying for that number two through five seed. So it all just kind of depends on who wins the division, who gets home games in the first round. And then, of course, in the wild card, uh, at six and seven, you've got um, the 49ers currently at number six, but our New Orleans Saints are also vying for uh, the uh, number seven seed. If they can win and have the 49ers lose to the Rams, that would get the Saints in the playoffs. So, Matt, kind of staying in the NFC, first and foremost, like what are your thoughts on, um, first and foremost, the Saints' chances to make the playoffs? So uh, you know, Joe, I know you're not gonna you're not gonna be happy about this one. So I'll just throw it out there, and, and you know, I'll deal with the, the the pushback, right? But I hate to hear the Saints getting into the playoffs, right? Like, just put them out of their misery. Like, and here's where I'm coming from. I've always been the kind of person where who cares if you make the playoffs if you don't actually stand a chance to win a championship, right? And like, I know wild cards and you can always get through and get lucky and blah 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 but realistically that doesn't happen especially in professional sports and so my thought on the saints are look you're not getting to the super bowl you're not even going to make a deep playoff run so what's the point well i mean it would be a tall task to try to win three straight road games i mean maybe you could upset somebody in the first round it's very likely that the Saints would play the Rams in the first round if uh, the Saints get in as the number seven seed. So I would personally, as a Saints fan, love to see the possibility of the Saints knocking the Rams out of the playoffs after the NOLA no-call from three years ago. So that, that would be the only reason I would enjoy it. But, I mean, to your point, it definitely would probably not be a playoff run that would go much further than the uh, divisional round. Yeah, and, and that's not specific to the Saints. Like, I want to make that clear. Like, I'm not hating on the Saints. I have that opinion about all teams that make it to the playoffs, kind of very much like Cincinnati in the college playoffs. Like, ooh, woo, hoo, you're in the top four, you're in the playoffs, and you just accounted for six points against Alabama. Great job, right? 
And so I feel the same way across the board in every sport like that. But to your point, it's funny you bring that up, right? Because when you talk about the playoffs, some of the hot-button teams for me are the Rams, the Chiefs, and the Cowboys. Because the truth is, I really believe those three teams, even though no one's talking about it, could be the first three out, right? The Rams could absolutely get upset by a scrappy defense that the Saints had if that plays out. The Cowboys, here one week, gone the next, okay? Definitely not reliable. And then you look what Arizona did to them. And then Kansas City, I've said throughout the year, or at least since Patrick Mahomes has kind of been on a slide. Now, granted, he picked himself back up. But I've been saying they've been perpetrating insurance fraud. Like, I think Kansas City's decent, but to think that that is Kansas City of the past or like the last few years, I don't buy into it. So uh, the other one to watch, in my opinion, since the Antonio Brown situation happened, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Their defense is not that great, and now they have no weapons. So to me, I think you're right about the Saints. They could knock out the Rams. But those four teams in particular, I think, may be the first ones out of the playoffs. Okay. No, that would certainly be exciting if any of those teams were to get upset. Um, Since you mentioned the Chiefs, I want to go now more towards the AFC. And I just cannot believe, Matt, for the life of me, that the Tennessee Titans have a great chance if they win, they clinch the AFC number one seed. I mean, that's just unfathomable given the, you know, the fact that they've had, you know, to play more than half the season without uh, Derrick Henry uh, A.J. Brown's missed th- three or four games this year. Julio Jones has missed a lot of time. I mean, what do you make of the Titans maybe getting the number one seed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm right there with you, Joe. Like, to me, that's the story. And before we get there, real quick, Sus Queen says, Stafford will choke. That's my hot take. Sus Queen, I agree. That's not a hot take in my opinion. Me and Joe go on record all the time saying that Stafford – is one of the most overrated number one draft picks. He, he, he let people down in Detroit, although Detroit is their own problem, okay? But now he's kind of getting exposed that he really isn't as good as we've always thought. We just clouded him around with this Detroit Lions, you know, they're terrible, blah, blah, blah. And so the truth is, I think, and, and I think Joe will agree with me here, that Stafford is, is very overrated for a number one pick. Right, Joe? Would you say so? Yeah, I think that when he was drafted first overall in 2009, I never saw him as like a generational talent like you would expect with a number one pick. I was just kind of like, well, he's kind of by default maybe the best quarterback in that class. Yeah, agreed. And I'm not saying he's bad, right? I, never, I don't want to say that Stafford's bad. What I'm saying is he's not one of those quarterbacks that's going to get you to the Super Bowl. And Sus Queen just responded with, they weren't always bad. He played with Megatron. And, yeah, you're exactly right. And what I would argue is Megatron made Stafford look really great because all those years I had Megatron in fantasy football and I would watch those games and Stafford would hang him out to dry and somehow with a miracle Megatron would catch it. And that's why I always stayed hurt. That's what I also say about Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Like, Rodgers is good, but let's not write off how damn good Devontae Adams is. Now, let's get back to the issue at hand here, right? And that's the AFC Joe talked about the Titans. I think the Titans, probably the most underrated team in, like, the entire NFL. This is not the team you want to play. Solid defense. They're getting Derrick Henry back, right? He's rested. He's healthy. He's coming off of an injury, but he is rested. Keep in mind, 
Derrick Henry is the number six overall rusher in the NFL, and the dude has been on the bench on IR for like six weeks. <laughs> now that just sums it all up right there, you know, with how talented he is, you know, reigning NFL Offensive Player of the Year with the the 2,000-plus yard season in 2020. But in addition to the Titans, you talked about the Chiefs. I'm just looking at the projected playoff matchups if the season ended, you know, this week. I mean, these matchups are just straight fire, Matt. Like, you would have the Chiefs hosting the Chargers in the first round. You would have the Bengals hosting the Colts. And you would have the Buffalo Bills in their divisional rivalry hosting the New England Patriots, possibly in the snow in Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. And I think you see that same thing on the NFC side, Joe. And that's why I say, like, you know, to think about the Saints getting into the playoffs, like, these are going to be some grudge match, tough games that anyone could, like, potentially win. And so definitely upset spoiler alert. And, you know, you just highlighted on the AFC side. I think you're going to see the same thing on the NFC side. But, Joe, some of the news I think is fascinating. And, like, I'm even going to go out on a limb and say this weekend will prove whether or not the NFL is rigged. This is breaking news on the Hungry Takes podcast, Joe. Some people are going to call it a hot take. I'm going to call it the truth. We are going to figure out if the NFL is rigged, and here's why. I don't know if you've heard about this, but if the Steelers beat the Ravens, okay, and then the Jaguars somehow beat the Colts, then all that has to happen is, is the Chargers and the Raiders play, and if they both take a knee and tie, then they both go to the playoffs, all right? And so in a perfect world where the NFL is not rigged and the Steelers win and the Jaguars win, it would not make sense for the Chargers and the Raiders to play each other and beat on each other when all they have to do is take a knee and tie and they both get into the playoffs. Well, what do you think about the possibility that they might want to win that game as far as playoff seeding for the opponent they would prefer to play? That would be the only argument. And granted, I have not looked to see how that would shake out, and I think that's a very valid point. But, you know, my thought is, at what point in time do you look at each other out of mutual respect and be like, what's the best for both teams, right? And it's to go into the playoffs healthy and happy, and so there's no reason for us not to just take a knee and tie. Well, I do think, to your point, you would see the coaches maybe uh, strategize differently if they're going to the playoffs regardless, and they might you know, rest some starters if the game gets out of hand or kind of based on how the game starts. And that's one reason why you see the league is notorious about not starting games at different times if a team already knows that they've clinched. And what I mean by that is the Patriots and Bills are both in contention for the AFC East division still this week. And so they're having both of them play at the same time because it would be unfair for one of them to already know the result. Yeah, you know, Joe, you're 100% right. The game I want to highlight, though, and you you kind of take us through a couple good games I think are out there. The game I want to highlight is Steelers-Ravens this weekend, right? Because it's already two scrappy teams, right? Two teams historically that are hard-nosed, smash-mouth, grinded-out, you know, grounded-pound, run-the-ball teams, right? It's a rivalry match. They're both playing for their viability in the playoffs. Ben Roethlisberger is playing for potentially the last game of his career, so the team's going to want to get behind him. 
Lamar Jackson is either going to try to scrap it out or um, the backup is going to play, and he's by, he's been playing great the last few weeks. So if he plays well, then that's his argument to potentially get a starting job in the NFL. And so I feel like for all of those reasons, Steelers-Ravens, and they're both still vying for a playoff spot, Steelers-Ravens is going to be an incredible game to watch this weekend. That would be, it'd be outstanding. And, you know, the Ravens has definitely been an unfortunate free fall for them. And then you think about Ben Roethlisberger's potential last game in the NFL, that divisional rivalry, those two teams, those franchises with Roethlisberger at the helm for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've played a lot of classic matchups, even playoff matchups through the years. They, they really have, Joe. Real quick in the chat, Sweet Blitz says, Huntley to Seattle. It's funny you say that. I think Huntley to Seattle is definitely a potential because he has been playing well. The sneaky news that I believe, Jameis Winston to Seattle. And I'd love to know what Joe thinks about that being a Saints fan. I mean, that would be interesting. If Jameis Winston goes to Seattle, you know, I hope that that means that Russell Wilson comes to New Orleans. You know, that would definitely be what would get me excited as a Saints fan. That, that's exactly right. So the way I have it pegged is Jameis Winston to Seattle, Russell Wilson either to New Orleans, or I keep saying Russell Wilson to Miami to keep his wife happy, Sierra, right? She wants to be on Miami Beach after being in Seattle for so long. And then Tua gets traded to New Orleans. So there would be a trade between Miami, New Orleans, and Seattle. Seattle gets Jameis. Uh, uh, Miami gets Russell Wilson, and New Orleans gets Tua. That's how I think it's going to play out. That would be fascinating. I'll say this. I mean, I've heard some people that are Saints fans talk about wanting a total rebuild for the franchise. I think that would be a mistake. I mean, this defense, to me, with Cam Jordan, um, with Quan Alexander, Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams, all those guys, they're way too talented to tear it up and try to build back. I mean, you may never have a defense on this level. All they need – is a quarterback. You know, this year, if Jameis Winston is the starter, this team probably wins 10 or 11 games. And so I think that Saints fans just need to focus on getting that quarterback and seeing what they can do next year. And it would be a mistake to just try to do a total rebuild. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think the other answer for the Saints, you've got to do something with Michael Thomas. Either get him off your books or get his ass on the field. I don't know how you make that happen, but you got to make it happen. And I think you're right, though, Joe. Like, I'm rooting for Russell Wilson in New Orleans. If I'm the GM for the New Orleans Saints, I don't get off the phone until Russell Wilson is a New Orleans Saint. I just think Sierra is probably going to have some decision or like some uh, involvement in this decision. And I look at Miami and I say, what can Miami do to get Russell Wilson? Because they're not particularly happy with Tua, but Tua has shown potential Maybe they flip him to New Orleans because Tua and Russell Wilson do play a very similar style of football. Right, right. Now, I'm totally um, really intrigued now to see what um, the offseason storylines um, are going to um, hold as far as, you know, some of the uh, speculation that you've brought up. And I think a lot of it is uh, very, uh, very interesting and legitimate. Uh, Matt, before we move on to a preview of the college football playoff national championship game, any kind of final thoughts on the NFL uh, into the regular season? You know, I, I think the story there, and we're going to touch on it a little bit later, is Antonio Brown, right? I know he's been all over the media and everybody's talking about it, but I don't want to talk about Antonio Brown from that perspective, and we'll save that conversation a little later in the show. 
But what I'm keeping my eye on is what that means for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And there's two ways to go with it. Either Antonio Brown and not having him jeopardize their season, right? No Antonio Brown, no Mike Evans, no Leonard Fournette. Or Tom Brady, Byron Leftwich, and B.A. come together and they figure out how to use all of those tight ends, right? So Gronkowski, O.J. Howard, and Cameron Brady. Now you have a three-headed monster at tight end. And, and Brady has been known to eviscerate teams using tight ends. So to me, Antonio Brown's the story because what does Tom Brady do now, right? Yeah, that's going to be the big question. Like, does this suddenly, you know, with a depleted wide receiver unit, does this become like the 2019 Patriots where they just don't have enough weapons? That's going to be the question is they get in the playoffs because even if, if they get the number two seed, they've got to win three straight games in the playoffs. You don't get that first round buy anymore as the number two seed. So that's kind of, you know, um, all of our thoughts on the NFL in the uh, regular season ending. Um, I, we do have to keep it moving to get to the college football playoff um, national championship game, Matt. And we, of course, have part two of uh, Georgia and Alabama. They're going to be playing in Indianapolis on Monday night. It's going to be just kind of exhausting because we'll watch all this NFL football. And then suddenly Monday night, it's a college game, the highest stakes, um, kind of what is your uh, prognosis on Alabama-Georgia part two? Yeah, you know, Joe, before we get there, I want to touch on that. Isn't that like the hardest part about sports right now? It's the changing of mindsets. Like you're watching NFL. Oh, we're switching to college football. Oh, we're switching to NBA basketball. Like do you ever find it tiring to go between all of them? Yes, it, at times, yes. And I'll say the biggest thing I would say about that is when the sports calendar kind of changes, like right now as football kind of wraps up, we're getting into basketball season, I feel like I'm not as uh, is up to date with my basketball discussion as I will be, say, like by February, hopefully. Like the names aren't as fresh in my mind. Like I'm kind of all into football now. So it is kind of hard to shift that focus. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally feel you on that. It's a struggle 24-7. But look. Let's talk Alabama. Let's talk Georgia, okay? We're going to shift the mindset here, college football. What can I say? You did it once. Let's run it back again, okay? Alabama blew them out, and what can you say about it? Can Georgia come back and give you something new, give you a different look? Can Kirby Smart change his mindset and figure out how to beat Nick Saban? I can't say for sure, Joe. What I will say is not having Michi or Mechie, however you say his name, like that is huge for Alabama. And I do think Georgia's defense is the real deal. Like I don't know how Alabama beat them the first time so convincingly, but I do buy into Georgia's defense. And I also buy into Kirby Smart and what he did at the end of the game um, this past weekend, which was they went to dump Gatorade on him, and his, he told his team, like, no, we're not doing that. We are not celebrating this game against Michigan. Like, this is not the game, right? Our game is against Alabama. And so that mindset to me is really important. So I don't know what we'll see in the second dose, but I know it'll be a good game. Yeah, I'm expecting a good game as well. And, you know, speaking of mindset, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I, I feel like you're going to hear a lot of people talk about the psychological factor of Georgia trying to overcome that Alabama hurdle and finally beat them for the first time since, like, 2007. But I think that there's something to be said about the obstacle that Alabama faces trying to defeat such a great team like Georgia twice in one year. Like, I think we can't shy away from that. And I just feel like Georgia's going to have just a drastically different and better game plan for this matchup. 
their defense really kind of restocked, reloaded, refocused against Michigan. They've got kind of a recaptured, rekindled momentum. I mean, this is still a great team. Jordan Davis defensively and Kobe Dean, all those guys on that side of the football. I think the key for me, Matt, as I look at this matchup, like I expect Alabama to play well. Like we all know about Bryce Young. We all know about Will Anderson. Like we expect those stars to show up. And then similarly, I expect the stars on Georgia's defense to show up. But what I want to see is what um, plays out with Georgia's offense. Can Stetson Bennett have another great performance like he did against Michigan? And most importantly, can Georgia av- uh, avoid turnovers? I feel like that is key to defeating Alabama. Yeah, no, I agree. I, you know, the, the other thing I'll kick in there, for some reason, teams don't understand it, and I don't know why. So this is like, this is an easy shot to me. Take points when Alabama gives them to you. Like, I've never seen a team that beat Alabama that did not take points when they gave them to them, whether it be a field goal or a touchdown. I've seen so many teams try to beat Alabama, and then instead of taking a field goal, they go for it on fourth down. Uh, Ole Miss, right? That was the story of Ole Miss this year. They had a field goal, right? They had the momentum. They were moving fast. Next thing you know, they go down. Uh, they, they misplay a fourth down, like close to the goal line, and the whole game gets out of hand. You have got to take points, if nothing other than for symbolic measures, when they come against Alabama. And the last thing I'll say, and this to me is just fascinating, right? I'm sorry. You know, I get wrapped up in the backstory of some of these games. It's about Nick Saban, Joe, and this is what is crazy to me. So before the Cincinnati game, okay, Alabama being a repeat national champion, a perennial powerhouse number one every year, somehow Nick Saban convinced or talked up Will Anderson, who should have been the Heisman Trophy winner and albeit the best player in the nation, okay, to stand up in front of his teammates the night before the Cincinnati game and preach about how nobody respected Alabama and that they were the underdogs and should play with a chip on their shoulder. Like, what What kind of voodoo is that where you can be the all-out betting favorite with the best team, with the best players, and somehow going against a tiny number four small school Cincinnati, you convince your players that they are underdogs, Joe. That is insane. No, it is. And it just shows you, you know, how Nick Saban's been able to be creative with his uh, motivational tactics. And, you know, there's no other way that uh, somebody can pull off what he's done. Like, you, I just don't think really any other coach um, in the country currently in college football could pull it off because it's just been that model of consistency. They just never have, you know, a down season. Like, the worst season that they've had in the last 14 years has been 10-3. and three. And, you know, you look at Ole Miss, just finished 10-3, and three, and that's like – one of their best seasons they've had, like, in the last four years. Absolutely incredible, Joe. It's, it's the voodoo that Tricky Nicky can spend is it, just – it's incredible. And I love every second of it, no matter how the game plays out. My prediction – again, this is going to be lame. My prediction is Alabama finds a way to win this one because that's what Nick Saban excels at. Like, he finds a way to beat you – when there is no way. And so, for that reason, Alabama wins this 27-21. Okay. No, I, I could certainly see that. I mean, you know, you expect 
playing against basically what I would say two Heisman Trophy winners or candidates, you know, in uh, Anderson and Young. I mean, that's just going to be tough. And uh, also Brian Robinson's a great running back. He had 200-plus yards against Cincinnati. I mean, Alabama just overall just always, you know, such a good, complete team. But I'm going to go out on a limb here, Matt, and I'm going to take Georgia to win this game, um, largely because of their defense. Um, I think it's going to be really close. And the hard part for me, I think, when making this pick is we haven't seen uh, Stetson Bennett, you know, lead like a late drive or have like a, a game, you know, that's close that Georgia actually wins. And he performs well in. But I, there's just something about, like I said earlier, Alabama having to defeat Georgia twice in one year. I just don't think finally Alabama can do it. I think they just finally kind of run out of that run in that magic. And I think that uh, Georgia pulls it off in just another classic game. I'm going to say Georgia wins 31 to 27. No doubt it will be a classic, Joe. I know you can't wait. I can't wait. All of our listeners, I'm sure they can't wait. So an exciting game coming up, I want to say, Monday next week. But, Joe, this is the portion of the show where we really marry our ideas of uh, hungry takes, right? Sports and food, they come together. So let me ask you this question. National championship game on Monday, all right? got to rank these three. Chips and salsa, chips and guac or chips and queso, rank them first to third, and which one are you eating for the game? Yeah, those are just like the classic table setters. So here's what I would say about my ranking. As far as like what I think is the tastiest out of those three, I would always say chips and queso. Uh, chips and queso. Yeah, I think chips and queso is the best. Um, but at the end of the day, though, I usually do go to chips and guacamole as my go-to. And, and the reason for that is, you know, obviously chips are, are going to be high cal, but I just feel like guacamole is kind of the, the healthier option. Um, and so I would probably go uh, chips and guacamole. But as far as taste, I would go chips and queso one, chips and guacamole two, and chips and salsa three. Like I don't hate salsa. I like salsa fine. But unless the salsa is just like out of this world, it's the kind of thing that at a restaurant, I'm just going to eat it until they bring something else. Yeah, look, I don't need to say anything else. You nailed that. I mean, literally, there, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I'm going to go, based on taste alone, chips and queso, chips and guac, and then chips and salsa, with actually the chips and salsa a very distant third, to the point of if you put them in front of me, I'll eat them while I wait. But I really don't want it because you do not stumble upon salsa that is just that good, right? Some are better than the others, but none of them are that good. My favorite, though, Joe, chips and guacamole. If, if I sit down for the game on Monday, I want chips and guacamole, especially if it's fresh-made guacamole at some of these restaurants. But I do think you're right. I think chips and queso probably taste the best. To me, chips and guacamole is my favorite because you get a little bit of naughty and you get a little bit of nice, right? A little bit of naughty <laughs> and a little bit of healthy. And that's what I like about chips and guac. Very well said. Um, and I agree completely. Uh, one final question about uh, chips and salsa. I am curious kind of your thoughts on, you know, you get some salsa where it's more like a hot sauce and then others more like a tomato salsa. Like any kind of thoughts on like the difference there, any preference there? Yeah, well, I mean, that is why I rank it third, right? It's that inconsistency. So me personally, I like a mild salsa that's a little bit thicker, right? But it's so inconsistent and it's even inconsistent from day to day, right? You can have your favorite Mexican joint, and one time you go and the sauce is hot, 
the next time you go and it's mild. But, you know, that's why salsa never fits the bill because some places it's watery. Sometimes it's overly thick. Sometimes too much jalapeno and it's too hot or sometimes it's too salty. And I just find there's more consistency and the flavor is better with guacamole and queso. Yeah, no, that that's certainly a, a good point. And I feel like uh, Chili's uh, salsa is good. Have you ever had Chili's salsa? But it even it like I was trying to kind of think of it as maybe like the most consistent salsa I've had. But even it like is so inconsistent too. It, they are all wildly inconsistent, and I don't know why. Even a mom and pop joint, Mexican joint, still inconsistent. So Joe, yeah, you know, what can I say, man? Chips and guacamole—that's what I'm going with for the game. That's the bottom line, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, no, I think that that's a great hot take, and and staying hot, Matt. Um, Transitioning back to sports, um, let's talk about some basketball, um, NBA basketball. You know, the calendar's changed to 2022. We'll be getting close to the All-Star break next month before we know it. And suddenly, you know, we're starting to see some fascinating uh, NBA headlines. And first and foremost, Matt, just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on uh, both the return of uh, Kyrie Irving and then also the projected hopeful return of Clay Thompson to the Warriors. Yeah, so the, the return of Kyrie Irving went better than I expected, right? And, you know, it's not even about what Kyrie can do on the court because I think the story's written on that. I don't know why people in the media and, and like, even people on social media or fans of basketball get overly excited about Kyrie. Like, we're in year, like, 13 at this point or something. We know who Kyrie is. Like, we know what he's about. We know what he can do. Like, he's probably the best dribbler I've personally ever seen. Um, probably one of the best crossovers. But, like, so it didn't shock me how good he was last night. My question in relation to Kyrie Irving, considering how uh, just volatile the coronavirus and the spread of the Omicron variant is, like, how realistic is Kyrie actually played? Like, I mean... You know, he's going to be around all these media people, all these fans, all of his players, like playoffs because, you know, Durant, Harden, Kyrie, whatever, right? We know how it's going to go. But now you have road games, and you're always speculating if Kyrie Irving is going to get COVID because it's not going anywhere. So is he going to be available for road games? And, oh, you just took two L's on the road, two back-to-back losses. You're trying to get momentum in the conference finals. Now you have to go back to Brooklyn, and he's unavailable because he's unvaccinated, right? And the thing that Kyrie is not good with, and and I don't apologize for this comment, is pressure. So when they're down 0-2, they come back to Brooklyn, and he can't play, and the organization starts pressuring him to take the vaccine so he can play. Like, what happens now, right? Like, does he get cold feet and he gets his feelings hurt and then he goes and runs off to take a personal mental day i I think this is a very volatile situation even though they're trying to make it a feel-good situation but just for a distinction though pressure within the organization but not necessarily pressure in the game because i do think that you know you look at his clutch gene with some of the you know um historic shots that he's made i do think you know as far as the pressure of the game he seems to have a good handle on that but I kind of get what you're saying, like pressure within the front office organization, coaching staff, that that seems to be a different element. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about on the, the court pressure, right? I'm talking about off the court. We need Kyrie to suit up tonight, vaccination or not. 
Kyrie, go take the J&J vaccine so you can play tonight because we are down 0-2. Look, Joe, it's the same story with Antonio Brown. The talent is undeniable on the field, on the court. Like, it's undeniable. What you got to decide when you're going with Kyrie Irving and Antonio Brown is can you take, can you handle the off the court or off the field issues, right? Can you actually get them on the court or on the field? And that's proving to be more challenging as their careers go on, right? It's starting to get to be repetitive incidents. And so you want to start answering that question with, oh my gosh, I don't know if Antonio Brown's worth it. Oh my gosh, I don't know if Kyrie's Irving, uh, Kyrie Irving is worth it. The talent says they are, but the off-court or off-field issues says they're not, and that's what I'm talking about here. Well, I did want to ask you, I have more questions about Antonio Brown, but first and foremost, any thoughts um, on Clay Thompson and what his return could mean, obviously, for the Warriors? Huge. I mean, huge. They're already the best team in the NBA. Now you're bringing, bringing back Clay Thompson, which – you know, I trust the Golden State Warriors organization, so I know Clay Thompson's coming back fully healthy, fully ready to play. He ran in the G League, I think, for a little while, or at least practiced with the G League team. So I have full confidence Clay Thompson is a hundred percent. It may take him some time to get his game legs under him, but I sky's the limit, right? Like to the point where, you know, Andrew Wiggins is working out, Draymond's still there, Steph is the MVP of the league. Now you're bringing back Clay Thompson. It may be the resurgence of the Golden State Warriors that we knew a few years ago. Well, I can't wait to see it. I'm hoping Clay Thompson can play Saturday. I'd really hoped he could have come back on Christmas Day um, a week or two ago. But, you know, would love to see him um, return. I think it's one of the more highly anticipated returns I can remember in really just league and, and or sports history. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and not only that, Joe, you know, we talk about like monumental, like, you know, things that happen. This one potentially changes the landscape of the NBA. Now, not so dramatically from where the Golden State Warriors were the last few years because they are in first place. They are the best team in the NBA. But just having him back, if they were in sixth place, it could move them to the number one spot, right? The fact that they're already in the number one spot, it could propel them forward. And so I think not only is it awesome for basketball, it's awesome for the Warriors, but definitely a landscape-shifting type situation. Yeah, without a doubt. So really just you know, hope and rooting for uh, Clay Thompson to return and look great and knock down three-pointers and have the you know uh, reuniting of the Splash Brothers and how cool is it to have uh, you know Andre Iguodala back for the team and Draymond Green still there and Steve Kerr, it's almost like, you know, kind of going back to five or six years ago with how much fun uh, this franchise and team um, was to watch in kind of their early years as uh, just kind of a dominant force. So, Matt, um, you know, that's kind of some storylines uh, surrounding the NBA and the return of those two players for different um, distinctive reasons. But as we kind of conclude this episode, I don't know if we have a specific hangry rant for this episode but I did want to get some more analysis and perspective from you on that big story that everybody's talking about across the NFL with what's going on with Antonio Brown. So I'll touch on Antonio Brown real quickly. We'll get your thoughts, Joe. I do have a hangry rant for tonight. Okay. Right? I do have one, but uh, you know, so I'll make it brief there, but you know, the, the deal with Antonio Brown is I, I just think 
it's a bad look for him, although this apparently is going to play out in court, right? Because apparently there's some other stuff going on here. Like, apparently he really is injured. He let the Buccaneers know, like, this story is developing. So I, I think at the end of the day, it's going to play out over time, right? Another year where Antonio Brown sits out. I think NFL will find him and suspend him. So same situation when he finally comes back. How many games does he have to sit? Like, we've been down this road. The question is, will another team bring him in? And I think the answer is yes. Like, if he could play this year, I think the Cowboys would probably bring him in to work in the slot, to be completely honest with you. It's just, can you trust A.B.? And I just, I don't know if you can answer that nowadays. Well, it's certainly a legitimate question. I mean, for me, it's just kind of weird how, you know, everything's transpired since he left Pittsburgh. Like, I just can't get a really good read on what I think about the whole situation because it was so, you know, odd how he gets to the Raiders franchise and never really, I guess, played a game with them, then played the one game with the Patriots, and then now he's back last year with the Buccaneers winning a Super Bowl. And then this year, you know, you really thought he was going to be a huge contributor for this team in the playoffs especially when Chris Godwin unfortunately got hurt a couple of weeks ago but then now here we are kind of deja vu with kind of a story that reminds me a lot of what happened when he was with uh, the Raiders as far as you know what's going on with his status and and, and also Matt you know, we've talked about before as Saints fans the Michael Thomas situation which is kind of um, similar but different in the sense that Michael Thomas you know is not going to be as outspoken you know, he doesn't have maybe the social media presence, but still almost just as mysterious as far as like why he hasn't played a game all year. You know, it's just hard to get a read on uh, what, what is going on with what was, you know, two or three years ago, two of the best, if not the best wide receivers in football. Yeah, you know, the Michael uh, Thomas situation is just crazy to me. Like, I, I just can't explain that. We've never gotten any clarity or transparency on that issue. But Joe, in the chat, August says, they tried to make A.B. play through an ankle injury, question mark, and he wanted to sit, question mark. If you watch Aaron Hernandez's documentary on Netflix, it sheds light on the NFL play forcing players to play hurt. Look, August, here's what I'm saying, man. I hear you, and I agree with you, right? And I even buy into this story that, that A.B. is trying to weave, right? I don't think people should play through injuries, right? But anyone will tell you in the NFL – you have to play when you're hurt, right? You take the Toradol shot, you take the Toradol pill. The, the best saying in the NFL is your best ability is availability, okay? So if you want to keep your job in the NFL, you have to be available. And that's not just a dude talking on color cast. Like, I actually personally know someone playing on the offensive line in the NFL, and they will preach the same thing. What I'm saying is, You've got to decide if you're going to rock with A.B., and, and I'm not, okay? Like, I'm hands-off. I'm going to say I buy what A.B. is saying. I believe there was something going on and that he was injured. All I'm saying is I'm not going to ride with A.B. Like, I, 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 if, if I'm the Buccaneers, I would probably walk away too. I think the Buccaneers were wrong in the situation. If I'm another team, I'm asking myself, can I actually control A.B.? And the answer is probably not. For that reason, I'm going to let A.B. go his own way. Although, I think Antonio Brown is probably in the right in this situation. Okay. Uh, I certainly hear you on all of those points. And, uh, Matt, um, i got to hear, though, now you kind of tease the fact that you have a hangry rant and definitely intrigued uh, to hear that. 
Yeah, Joe. All right, the Hangry Rant, the most anticipated segment in sports entertainment. That's what I like to say. So here it is, okay? Turns out it's sneaky big news. Joe, did you know that the USSL, the United States Football League, is set to kick off in a hundred days, right? This was new to me up until we went live tonight on our ColorCast episode. There are eight teams, the New Jersey Generals, Michigan Panthers, Philadelphia Stars, Pittsburgh Maulers, Birmingham Stallions, Houston Gamblers, New Orleans Breakers from the old 70s, and the Tampa Bay Bandits. Joe, the hangry rant here is not about how cool the USF, the USSL could be. It's that how many times do we have to try to compete with the NFL before we realize it just doesn't work, right? We had the XFL twice. We had the AFL, the A. The ASU, I don't know. There's so many of them out there, and they have all failed over and over again. Joe, why are we doing this again? Like, as cool as I think it is, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to go check out Birmingham. I'm going to go check out the New Orleans Breakers. I'm sure the first few games will be pretty good. But again, Joe, we know how this is going to play out. This league will be defunct in less than a year. Why do we keep doing this to ourselves? Well, you know, I actually um, saw today where uh, Kevin Sumlin, who, of course, coached uh, Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M, he got hired as one of the head coaches for these uh, one of these new teams. I found that kind of interesting as a college football fan. But, yeah, going back to kind of your initial point, I did not know about this new um, version of the USFL until just a few days ago. Somebody else told me, and I just could not believe it. I was baffled by it, had not heard anything about it, because I was like, the USFL – didn't they try to do something with that name back in like 1982 or 83? Like I want to say even uh, uh, Jim Kelly played in that league or a league like that. So I was like, you know, this is kind of deja vu here, but you're right. Like a lot of leagues have tried and failed. You know, if it couldn't work out with like, say the arena football league or the XFL, which, you know, are kind of trying to offer a product that's kind of uh, sometimes cooler at times than the NFL it's just not going to work out with this because I feel like this is going to be more of a bland vanilla version with the USFL of what we see with the NFL. Yeah. And you know, the other side of it is it's happening like between April and like the summer months, right? Right. When the NBA gets heated up and you have the, the NBA playoffs and all that good stuff. I just don't see it working out, Joe, but you are right. A bunch of good players from the seventies and eighties were in the USFL. You got Marcus Dupree, the best running back that never was. Steve Young is, is also noteworthy coming out of the USFL. I just don't understand why we keep doing this again, right? Like the NFL, the, the talent level is so insanely huge. And so when you don't get to that level, everybody else is kind of washed up past the point of being relevant or they just weren't good enough to get or play in the NFL. And it really hurts the product that's on the field. So like, I get it. I'm going to watch it. I will definitely go check out a game or two if I can, as long as COVID doesn't stop it. But in the reality, we know this will be another league that within a year will be defunct. Um, although you bring up a good point. The XFL was actually very important to NFL football. A lot of the camera angles, the overhead flyovers, like the zooms on the, on the field, all of that came from the XFL. So these leagues do have application. They are important but they never work out. 
Well, the last thing I would say, kind of interesting historical kind of overview of how this works out is, you know, you think about the NFL, you think about the NBA, a lot of the origins of those two professional sports leagues is predicated on um, competitor leagues. Think about the ABA versus the NBA. And you had some teams like the Spurs, the Nets, the reformer American Basketball Association franchises. They joined the NBA and kind of became one. Same thing with the NFL. You had the AFL and the NFL, two competitive entities. And that's the reason, Matt, you know, we have the Super Bowl was to have the champion of the AFL against the champion of the competitive league, the a the NFL. And so it's kind of interesting, you know, our history of um, professional sports leagues, ironically, is uh, completely based on uh, leagues kind of competing against each other. But obviously, the way things are now in the present day and the status quo, just nobody's going to compete against the NFL. No, but I'll tell you what, this one might have some legs, right? So I'm going to keep an open mind because at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm always, I'm just a fan of sports, but look, could have some legs to it because there are some names out there that could put them on the map. Like Trent Richardson, who was doing really well in the AAF uh, in Birmingham. We actually went and watched him play before that was defunct. You have Trent Richardson out there. Josh Gordon is, is irrelevant in the NFL, so maybe he would step down and go to the USFL. you got Le'Veon Bell, who's been trying to get work, right, and, like, going in between all these teams. you got Des Bryant out there that still wants to play. I think T.O., believe it or not, Terrell Owens is still in fantastic shape. He might be convinced to play. you got Johnny Manziel. And, oh, by the way, there's this free agent as of today named Antonio uh, Brown, that would totally be eligible to headline the USFL. I think Shady McCoy, that's another good one out there. So there is some talent that you could plug in to kind of make this league a little juicy, to be honest with you. Uh, no doubt. Yeah, if you get like certain players, if you get Antonio Brown, I mean, my goodness, that, that would suddenly, you know, make it so watchable and people would be gravitating towards um, the USFL come spring. And so a lot of things to watch. Um, over the next three months. It's going to be interested to see, you know, the players that are drafted into that league, also the rest of the coaches, how kind of the staffs are uh, filled out here. Uh, really interested in all of those components. Yeah, absolutely. Johnny Football, Johnny Menzel, that would be a great. Chad Kelly would be somebody as an Ole Miss person. I would like to see him in the USFL. So just a lot of people um, um, out there that we want to watch. But, Matt, um, as we kind of uh, wrap up, just a great show, though, action-packed. Um, I think we, you know, we went through just kind of a plethora of football and basketball topics and really excited about what we're going to see with the end of the NFL regular season and then also the Georgia-Alabama National Championship game Monday night. Yeah, there's, look, there's a lot of moving parts right now uh, with the NFL, the, the NCAA college football, the NBA, right? There's a lot of stuff. It's another great weekend to be a fan. Go watch some sports. Pick your poison. NFL, NCAA, Clay Thompson coming back. Check something out. Join us back next Thursday where we talk food. We talk sports on Hungry Takes. Absolutely, Matt. So well said. Thank you, everybody, so much for tuning in. Really appreciate the support, as always. And I would also add, um, lastly, you can follow us on Twitter, at Hungry Takes, um, and we would love to get that support from you. Hope everybody has a great week. And like Matt said, we will talk to you on the podcast next Thursday night. Good night.